Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Dan Gerard. I'm going to share with you today a subject that is very relevant to what we are experiencing at this time because we are just finishing up our nominating committee session and about to enter into our new calendar year. For those of you that don't know, uh, we begin the new calendar year on July 1. So today I'm sharing with you the thought, usefulness, God's desire for us. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father, we are thankful for men and women and young people down to the ages who have applied themselves to the cause of heaven because we would not be here in this place in all probability if individuals had not used their talents, their treasure, their time for the glory of your name and the upbuilding of your kingdom. Jesus has spent the night in Bethany, which is about two miles east of Jerusalem. And as he was returning to the city the next morning, he saw a fig tree. And being hungry, he went to that fig tree to get some figs to eat. Let's read the account as presented in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. Now in the morning, as Jesus returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? The Scripture records that when Jesus arrived at that fig tree, there was nothing there but leaves, leaves only. It had given all of the appearance of being a fruit-bearing tree, but there was only leaves. And so Jesus said to that tree, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And the Bible says that the disciples marveled at this action. And so the question we're asking ourselves today is, what was and what is the lesson to be learned from this account? The lesson is this. To Jesus, the value of that fig tree involved the fruit it was to produce. And when you and I bring this physical lesson over into the spiritual realm to be applied in our lives, it must be accepted that to Christ, religion is more than just something of a practical value that we experience in a setting as we have here. The practicality must go outside these four walls. It's not just something beautiful and decorative. 
It must be something real. It must be something practical, again, outside the parameter of this edifice. One of the great lessons of religion should be that you and I come to understand that there is a temptation that comes with religion. And the temptation is for us to become worship-centered only. Worship-centered only instead of incorporating the aspect of being service-centered. I heard the story several years ago about a lady who rushed to church one day, and she asked the deacon, is the service over? And the deacon smiled and gave what I believe was an inspired reply. He said, sister, the worship is over, but the service is just beginning. That should be a true experience of all of us concerning our worship. But the danger lies in the fact that we can satisfy ourselves just with the act of worship. And the act of worship is very important. It's necessary. But you and I must never be satisfied just with the act of worship. I love you. But can I make it real plain without offending any of you? Too often, we satisfy ourselves with the act of showing up for the time of worship. Too often, we satisfy ourselves just with coming to church on Sabbath morning, and we feel like we have done all that we should do. Amen or ouch. Am I smiling? I wish there was a sign that could be positioned at the entrance and the exit of this property. On one side, the sign would read, as people come onto this property, enter to worship. On the other side, as we make an exit from this property, the sign would read, exit to serve. Let me illustrate it with a biblical example. Jesus had gone to the mount with three of his disciples, and there was a great experience that took place. We call it the miracle of transfiguration. We refer to it as the mount of transfiguration. And as they were there on that place, Peter, after it had all ended, he was so excited that he said to Jesus, let's just stay here. And Peter not only just wanted to stay there, he wanted to build some buildings there to erect some edifices. But Jesus led those disciples down off of that Mount of Transfiguration back into the valley. And he led them into the valley because there was a small boy there who needed help. 
the disciples had been approached to provide the help, and, and they were not able to do so. But Jesus knew that someone was in need. I'm about to make a statement I hope you never forget. Worship, which does not express itself in service, is not enough. May I repeat that? Worship, which does not express itself in service, is not enough. Wonderful that they had that marvelous experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, that, that spiritual high, if you will, during a time of worship, but that was not enough. Their worship needed to translate into helping someone else. There was once a soap manufacturer who was debating with a minister about the value of religion. The soap manufacturer began to list off and number various instances of evil and wickedness, corruption in the world, and said that religion had not done any good. Well, about that time, a little boy walked by, and he had been playing in the mud. And the minister made the observation to the soap manufacturer, neither has soap done any good. And the soap manufacturer asked him, well, why would you say that? And the minister said, well, soap hasn't done any good because there are still dirty people in the world. And the soap manufacturer replied immediately, well, soap is of no value unless it's used. And the preacher smiled real big and said, well, the same is true of religion. Religion is no good unless it is used. My brothers and sisters, usefulness is God's desire for us. I heard the story many years ago about a father who had an only son. And in his will, he provided that this only son would receive a substantial sum of money every year as long as he was in college. The dad died, and so the son continued in college year after year after year. He spent 26 years in college. He died with 11 degrees after his name. But all of that education was of no good because he never used it. Sadly, there are people, good people, who spend a lifetime reading their Bibles. They spend a lifetime praying. They spend a lifetime going to church. And those are all noble and needed and good. But my brothers and sisters, they never actually use their religion. And Jesus does not approve of this kind of lifestyle. You see, as we study the life of Christ, 
we see that Jesus is using his power. He used his power to save. He used his power to heal. And one of the things that Jesus warned against over and over and over again was that of uselessness. There's a story in the Bible about a good Samaritan. And in that story, we discover that Jesus had contempt for the priest and for the Levite. Now, the priest and the Levite had not robbed that man. They had not beaten that man. They had not left him along the roadside in a bloody pool to die. They just passed him by. They did nothing. They were useless in a productive way. You see, they did not use their position and they did not use their power to give that man aid and assistance. There's another story about a servant who was given a talent. Some fellow servants had been given talents, and they had used those talents. But this servant, it's recorded, was to be cast into outer darkness. He had not used that talent in a wrong way. The master had entrusted the talent to him. The only thing he was guilty of was simply burying the talent in the ground and doing nothing with it. I reread that story this past week, and it was very interesting. I'd never seen this before. It was very interesting for me to see that he placed the blame on someone else. I want to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 and 25. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, underscore, and notice this, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strode. And I was afraid, and went and hid my talent in the earth. Now, what's he doing? He is casting blame on someone else. I'm not using my talent. I did not use the talent because of you. I'm going to stop preaching here for just a few moments, and I'm going to do a little meddling. And I always get in, meddle, get in trouble when I meddle. But I can't help it. It's just part of my DNA. And I'm going to try to smile real big as I do this meddling. Would it surprise you if I were to make the statement that there are actually some people who blame others in the church for not using their talent? Maybe it's someone on the local level. 
Maybe it's someone on the conference level. Maybe it's someone on the general conference level. They just refuse to use their talent. Am I smiling? I love you. The nominating committee comes to them or gives them a phone call, and they refuse. And they refuse because of someone else. And would it surprise you if I were to make the statement that there's nobody like that here at University Parkway, Seventh-day Adventist Christian Church? Nobody like that here. But would it surprise you if I were to make the statement that there are some people who refuse to use their talent because of the pastor? They don't agree with the pastor. I went to hold a revival several years ago, and, and the pastor was very distraught because their nominating committee had just ended, and he had received the report that several people had refused to accept positions because they were unhappy with him. And he said, Dan, what should I do? I said, one of two things. Either they need to leave or you need to leave. Now, there's nobody like that here at University Parkway Church, is there? But it does happen. People actually blame others for not using their talents, their gift. If it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for her, I would do this or, or I would do that. Well, enough meddling. Am I still smiling? Jesus told about five virgins who had the door slammed in their faces. And the door was closed in their face, not because they were unclean, they were virgins. Why would they refuse the entrance into the wedding chamber? It was simply because their lamps were not burning. Their lamps were useless. And as Jesus stood before that fig tree, a fig tree that was supposed to have fruit but only had leaves, Jesus condemned that fig tree to death. Why? Because it was useless to him. There is a fundamental law in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm that goes like this. Only the useful things survive. The things we use for our good, we keep. That which we do not use eventually dies. Now, if you do not believe this, go home today, place your arm in a sling, and refuse to use it. You know what will happen? Your arm will freeze. It will become useless. And if left there long enough, it will literally die on the shoulder. I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that the Bible teaches that God made us for a purpose. And the purpose for every life is to be fruitful. Do you remember what God told Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden? 
Be what? Be fruitful and multiply. And my friends, when an individual fails in his or her mission, that individual begins to wither and eventually will die. I want you to listen very carefully as Jesus spoke to the individuals of his day and and speaks to us personally in this regard. John chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. From the gracious lips of the Savior, we hear, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, let me pause there and ask a question. Which category do we want to be in? The category that is taken away or the category that is blessed and brings forth more fruit? We want to be in that latter category, don't we? Christ continued, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me... He is cast forth as a branch, and it's withered, and men gather it and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. My brothers and sisters, I have discovered that some of the, some of the unhappiest people in the world are those who are living within themselves. They're not abiding in Christ, the true vine. And one of the reasons for this lack of happiness is that there is a void of bringing forth fruit. There is a lack of accomplishment, a lack of accomplishment that's due to not being useful as a disciple of Christ. Question, do we have a desire to glorify our Heavenly Father? We do, don't we? If we have that desire, we can. Look again at verse number eight. Herein is my Father glorified. And is there someone about to ask the question, well, What is one of the ways that we can glorify the Father? He says, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So how can I glorify my Heavenly Father? How can you glorify your Heavenly Father? We glorify our Heavenly Father as we abide in His Son and allow Christ to enable us to bring forth fruit as we make ourselves candidates for usefulness. Question, do we really have a desire to be a disciple of Jesus? If we do, we can. 
Look again at verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And as someone were about to ask, well, what will be the result of this? The manifestation of this. He resounds, so shall you be my disciples. So what is one of the ways that you and I bear testimony to others of being a disciple of Christ? We reveal to others that, that we are disciple of Christ as we abide in Christ. And we allow Jesus to enable us to bring forth fruit to make ourselves candidates for usefulness. I don't know how long I will live, but this one thing I do know, I am living now. And this is more than, than some people who are alive can say. Oh, they may be alive physically in that sense as we know it, but even though they are alive in the physical sense, they're actually withering while yet alive due to the lack of being willing to be useful. I once preached a funeral sermon of a young man who was killed while cutting down trees to clear property in order to build a home on that new property for his wife and young son. The mother was devastated. And she came to me before the memorial service and she said, Pastor, I just don't understand why God allowed him to die at such a young age. And I said, my sister, I don't understand either. But this I do know. He put more in his limited number of years on this earth than many people do who are 70 and 80 years of age. Because in this community, he was known as an individual who helped people. He was useful. He was fruitful. I'm going to pause just a moment and ask myself a question. And as I ask myself this question, I want you to apply it to yourself. How many people are there who would look Danny Gerard right square in the eye and say, Danny, I am thankful for you. My life is better because of you. Danny, I'm glad you are living. How many people are there who would say that to me? How many people would say that to you? If you were to die this moment, would it be a loss to many people? Oh, to your immediate family, maybe yes. But really, when everything is said and done, would you and I be missed very much for very long? We used to sing a song when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church. 
I don't sing very well, but I'd like to sing this little song because it meant a lot to me then and it still means a lot to me today. I often sing this song when I'm by myself in my quiet meditations. The song goes like this. Jesus, use me, and, O oh Lord, don't refuse me, for surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. And though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Anybody beside me know, know that little song? Those of you that do, would you join me? Jesus, use me, and, O oh Lord, don't refuse me, for surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. And though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Oh, my friends, usefulness is God's desire for us. I made the statement several weeks ago about something that touched my life when I was a young preacher boy and has been my philosophy for all of these years since the age of 15. I had rather burn out for the Lord than rust out for the devil. Jesus is coming, and He's given all of us gifts and talents. And my friends, now is not the time to put it under a bushel. Now is the time, as the children sing, to let our little light shine, because the world is dark, and maybe what you have will be the encouraging light they need. Dr. Dan Gerard is the pastor of University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.